Salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah chapter 2 verse 9. I want to focus our attention this morning on just those five words. We've reached the end of our series in the book of Jonah. And as a way of concluding this series, looking at the book, I want to give us what I hope is a simple overview of what it might mean that salvation comes from the Lord. I think it's the key concept in the book. It's a concept that I felt we've rushed through, and so I want to spend today focusing on what I think is at the heart of the book of Jonah, but I want to do that in the context of the whole Bible. Over the last four weeks, as we've looked at the book of Jonah, we've seen that in many ways the book of Jonah is a case study in how to avoid God, how to avoid having God at the centre of your life. And we've seen that it's even possible. In fact, it's likely as a mature Christian believer that we spend much of our time avoiding God, avoiding the God that we wish to serve. And so in many ways, um, as we've read the book of Jonah, our prayer might be, as we come to the end of this series, our prayer might be, Lord, make us less like Jonah and more like Jesus. That seems to me an appropriate prayer, but it's, it's troubled me this week because I think one day I'll actually face Jonah in heaven and um, I'm not sure if he'd be too pleased with me he may say to me, I heard that you preached a whole series about my book on how not to be like me. Because in many ways, that's what we've discovered. We've discovered in the book of Jonah that Jonah is a fool. Jonah is a laughable character. And Jonah is like us in so many ways because the joke's not just on Jonah, the joke's on us. And yet, there are some positive lessons from Jonah's life. And one of them is in chapter 2. I think it's, in one sense, a mark of Jonah's humility, or indeed how low God brought Jonah, that he could write what was read to us from chapter 2. He gives this honest confession from what's going on in the very depths, not of the whale, but of inside him, what's going on in his life. And so in many ways... Jonah chapter 2 is a model for us. If I'd been thrown in a storm, overboard, then found myself swallowed by a fish, I don't know that I'd be singing the praises of God. I'd be thinking, how can I get out of here? You see, we might well have restrained God's praise in that kind of situation in light of our pain. But Jonah gives thanks to God because he sees that it's God's hand who is at work in his life. The hand that he has pushed back, the one that he has tried to run away from. In the belly of that fish, Jonah realises that God is at work in his life. That God will complete his saving work that he has begun. And so I want to explore with us how we often as Christians undermine God's salvation by this. We underestimate what God is doing in our lives and we overestimate what we are capable of and our response. Jonah is a model for that. 
Salvation comes from the Lord, Jonah says in chapter 2. A man, a Baptist preacher, C.H. Spurgeon, about 100 years ago, wrote this about Jonah in the whale. He says this, Jonah learned this sentence of good theology, that is, salvation comes from the Lord, in a strange college. Most of the grand truths of God have to be learned by trouble. They must be burned into us with a hot iron of affliction. Otherwise, we shall not truly receive them. See, when was Jonah brought into most clarity about what his life was about and indeed who God was? It was in his most desperate moment. It was at his lowest ebb. It was when he was facing death. And God came and rescued him. See, Jonah wasn't God-focused at all. Jonah, for a time, became, in chapter 2, God-centred. But it was only because God forced him to. And so Jonah sings this this song that was read, chapter 2, for us, one where God gets the glory. You can see there in Jonah chapter 2, verse 2, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. It was when Jonah was at his most desperate that he calls to God. And you notice how Jonah calls to God in chapter 2. He does it in a particular way. You notice the repetition in chapter 2 of these words, you and your. Have a look there in verse 3. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me, and your waves and breakers swept over me. Have a look at verse 6. But you brought my life up from the pit, O my God. See who saves? In this moment of clarity that Jonah receives, it's God who saves. It's you, God, who has done this. Jonah knows that he was done for, that he would have been a rotting corpse at the bottom of the ocean. But he realises that God is the one who has radically intervened in his life, indeed, has been with him his whole life, even when he's been running away from God. Because this is how the Bible talks. This is indeed how the Bible talks about what God is doing in our lives. This is how the Bible talks about salvation. The Bible talks about salvation firstly, as you see there in your outlines, as a completed transaction. You might have noticed from our second reading from the book of Ephesians, we read this, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. So the Bible is full of language where it speaks about, about our salvation as completed, our salvation that has already been accomplished. Paul, when he writes to the Romans, says this, Since therefore we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks about salvation as completed transaction. It's a done deal. How have I been saved? 
Well, Christ died for my sins, and in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Christ rose for my justification. And since I am made one with Christ, since I am joined with Christ through the bond of faith, God counts my sin as though it were Christ's, and all Christ's righteousness as though it were mine. The completed transaction of salvation. This is how the Bible firstly speaks about our salvation. The word that we use to speak about the completed work of salvation is justification, and it comes all from the Lord. Secondly, the Bible says that salvation, you see there in the outline, is a continuing process. Book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being to foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Salvation is completed, and yet at the same time, it's a continuing process. It's a continuing process. Your salvation has begun. But the Bible says that our salvation is not yet complete. We are not yet what we will be. We still struggle, we still fail. In so many ways, yet we are not what we were. We have been born again. We are a new person in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're being saved and that process of us being saved, that process of our completed salvation, that is all from the Lord. We see this in Jonah. Jonah had known God for so many years. He'd grown up. In Israel, hearing God's law, he'd become a prophet called by God specifically to speak his word. But sin gets hold of Jonah's life. And so God disciplines him and saves him through a storm and this fish. And then we saw last week in Jonah chapter 4, where Jonah falls into sin again, but it's in a different way. He becomes angry and bitter frustrated and God even in the middle of his bitterness even in the middle of his second chance that he messes up guess what God is doing God is saving him God is working through his weakness God is working through his sin see salvation is more than just an event Salvation is what God is doing as a lifelong process in our lives. And God is always at work to make us more like the Lord Jesus. This is the continuing process of salvation. This is what the Bible calls sanctification. Seeing that the completed work of salvation, justification, but salvation is also a continued work of sanctification, of God working through our weakness and our sin and our folly, and our error. And thirdly, we see that salvation is a future hope. The book of 1 Peter puts it like this, you are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation. Hear that? Salvation is also a future hope. A future hope of salvation comes from the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 says, The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God, the dead will first 
rise. Our future, our final, our glorious salvation comes from the same place as our justification, comes from the same place as our sanctification, that work of God in our lives. It comes from the Lord. The Lord has saved you if you trust in the Lord Jesus. The Lord is saving you and the Lord will save you as a future reality because salvation comes from the Lord. The future of our salvation, which the Bible calls glorification, comes from the Lord. But all that might be true. But how does that help us live? How does knowing the reality of what God has done of what God is doing and what God will do, how does that actually help us live as Christians? Well, I want to say that having a deep understanding of those three realities, we need all three of them, I think is life-changing. And that's my second point there in our outline. It makes all the difference knowing these realities. Because knowing salvation comes from the Lord makes all the difference in three ways. Firstly, it deepens our worship. Psalm 139 verse 16 says this, All my days were written in your book before one of them came to be. That is a remarkable reality, isn't it? That God, you know, we write retrospective journals, you know, of what happened to our life. We write vague plans about what we might like to happen in our life. But God writes out every single detail of our lives in his book. Before it happens, Psalm 139 tells us. And so that means that if you are a believer, God set his love on you. He set his love on you before you were even born. We were on God's horizon before we were born. But even, you know, remarkably, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 tells us that we were on God's horizon before even the creation of the world. He planned our days before we were born. He planned our days before the creation. He planned them in love. It's a great thing. As we saw in the 1 John series, it's a great thing to know that God is love. That is a very true, right and good reality. But there is a greater thing. It's to know that that God who is love, loves me. That Jesus Christ died to save sinners, but that Jesus Christ died to save me. This is a personal way of relating to what God has done, of who God is. The Apostle Paul says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. When Jesus came into the world, when Jesus came to die on the cross, he did more than just provide an escape route for us, a way of salvation in general. He came to save people, people with names, people with faces. And if you're a Christian person, one of those people that the Lord Jesus came for was you. When he was born, I was about to celebrate over the Christmas time when we think about Jesus lying in the manger. We can know that he was born in that manger for us. 
when he died and when he hung on the cross, he hung for us. When he carried, our, when he carried the sins of the world, he carried our sins. And when he entered judgment, it was our judgment that he entered. One of the realities of our fallen nature is that we're not particularly caught up in the things of God, in what God has done and what God is doing. We're just not tuned like that. Humans aren't orientated to God and to what he's doing. But this is what God has done. He's come into our lives. He's come into our lives to help us realise what he has done and what he is doing. I think it's, I think it's remarkable. I think it's remarkable. Because I, I think a lot of the time what we do is we kid ourselves that we are far more into what, and aware of what God is doing than we actually are. It's incredible to consider that, I was thinking about this this week, that before the creation of the world, before my consciousness about God, my consciousness about what he'd done for me, my growing depth of understanding about what all that means, before all that had happened, God sent his spirit to work in little boy's heart, speak to him, to draw him to Christ, to give him life from above, to direct his life, to call him, to equip him, to guard him, to keep him, to stay with him, to correct him a lot, to strengthen him, to show him truth, to teach him how to pray, and one day to bring him safely home. That's what God has done in my life. And if you're trusting the Lord Jesus, that's what God has done in your life too. And he too will safely bring you home. You see, it's, it's remarkable to consider just the mystery of what God is doing. We can't even understand it, but just because we can't understand it doesn't mean that it's not happening because salvation is from the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord. Secondly, for us to realise that salvation is from the Lord, it means that our assurance is strengthened because there are many Christians who lack confidence. And I think, if we're honest, some of us at certain points in our lives all lack a confidence in what the Lord Jesus is doing. In what the Lord Jesus is not doing, you know, kind of in the world out there, but what the Lord Jesus is doing in our lives in our hearts and minds. See, often Christian people boil faith down to my decision to follow Jesus. Have you made a decision to follow Jesus? Because it's all about your decision to follow Jesus. But if our salvation is simply boiled down to my decision to follow Jesus, how do I keep that up? How do I keep making that decision when sometimes I don't want to make that decision. I mean, the best we could say is, look, if it's all about my decision, I hope I can make it. I hope I can give it my best shot. But the Bible doesn't say that. 
Jonah chapter 2 doesn't say that. It doesn't say that salvation comes from me. Salvation is just about me giving it my best shot. No, salvation comes from the Lord. If God is saving me, I can have a confidence in his ability to keep me and to hold me. Another hymn writer who had a remarkable life was a man called Augustus Toplady, not just because of his great name, Augustus Toplady, but because of many of the things that happened in his life. He wrote that hymn, Rock of Ages, but in another hymn he writes these words about his assurance that as much as he might waver, God is holding him. He writes this, he says, My name from the palm of his hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart, it remains in marks of indelible grace. Yes, I to the end shall endure, as sure as the earnest is given, more happy, but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. I love that, that phrase, more happy, but not more secure. Those in heaven, they might be happier, he's saying, but they're not more secure. Because salvation comes from the Lord. And so when, you, when we clearly grasp the reality that salvation comes from the Lord, then our confidence will be in the Lord who has died for us, in the one who has saved us, who will keep us, and who will never let us go. Thirdly, if salvation comes from the Lord, then I think this motivates us, and it mo- motivates us to prayer and evangelism. I've been thinking about a number of people in my life this week. People that are on my heart and on my mind who really need Jesus. But these people aren't Christian, not interested in Christianity, not interested in Jesus at all. And so if salvation just boils down to human choice, then there is no hope for them. They are hard. They don't want a bar of it. Because they've made their choice. In fact, they made their choice years ago. But if God is free, if God is free to swoop down uninvited and lay hold of such a person who is dead in their trespass and sin and bring them to spiritual life, then that gives me hope. If God saves, guess what? I can ask him to save those who seem so hardened to me. I can't imagine a more powerful incentive to pray that it's the God who has saved me who may save others. God can do in the lives of those you know, of those that you care dearly for. God can do what you actually can't imagine. It also motivates us to realise if if salvation comes from the Lord, it motivates us to speak about the Lord Jesus. Because God saves through this gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the book of Romans tells us. And so God swoops into people's lives and how does he do that? He does that when the gospel of the Lord Jesus is spoken. And so it I think, gives us great motivation to realise that salvation is from the Lord. It gives us great motivation to speak about Jesus as incapable 
as we often feel, as untrained as we might be, as weak as we might feel, who cares? Salvation isn't the clarity and convincing nature of our words. Salvation is from the Lord. And he uses us and, his gos- and us speaking the gospel of his son. And who knows what God will do with that? This is, I think, Jesus' point in Mark chapter 4. He says, The sower throws out the seed, knowing that some will fall on hard ground and nothing will come of it. Some will get choked. But some will grow and bear fruit. Some will grow, the Lord Jesus tells us, and bear fruit. That's why the sower sows. And so when Jonah said, Salvation is from the Lord, he was saying more than, you know, salvation is possible. He was saying, actually, salvation is from the Lord. God saves. And if you believe in the God who saves, then you're motivated to pray. Finally, how is salvation from the Lord? I want to speak to some of us who might say, well, look, you know, it's all very nice that salvation is of the Lord, but I'm actually not sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure that I'm being saved, and I'm sure as heck not sure that I will be saved. If salvation comes from the Lord, that may be daunting for some of us. It doesn't leave us with much hope. I mean, what, what can I do? What can I do if salvation comes from the Lord? The truth that salvation comes from the Lord, the truth of that reality does not close a door for, door for any person. It in fact opens a door of hope for every person. Because how are we going to have faith? We saw in the book of Jonah that it's difficult. The life of faith is difficult. But how are we going to love God more than we love ourselves? How are we going to overcome sin on a daily basis? How are we going to live a holy life? How are we even going to have the desire to change? How are we going to keep that up? Well, the good news is that salvation comes from the Lord. It's not from us. It's not from you. You can't do those things, but God can do them. And God does do them for you and in you and through you and with you. The Lord Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died why? Because there's no way you, by yourself, can reconcile yourself to God. It takes a radical intervention of the God who saves to come in the person of Jesus, to come to die for us. You want to grow as a Christian? You want a vibrant spiritual life? You can't do that. You can't do that by yourself. That's why the God himself sends his Holy Spirit, because you can't give yourself a vibrant spiritual life. God promises his presence and his power through his spirit, in our lives because we can't overcome sin by ourselves because salvation is from the Lord. And when you see that, 
that gives us a hope to realise that this salvation that is from the Lord is at work in us. And it gives us a courage to come to him and to ask him to save us. So many of us, I think, often are so weighed down, consumed by our inability to change. And you know why? Because we've forgotten that salvation is from the Lord. We need to get our eyes off ourselves and our inability and weakness and problems and we need to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus and his ability to save because that's what faith is. The Lord saved Jonah. He saved Saul of Tarsus, who's an angry, violent man. And the Lord saved so many of us here. Why should he not save you? Why not ask him? Why don't ask him to save you as well? This is how Spurgeon, the preacher I mentioned earlier, finished his message on Jonah chapter 2. I'm going to finish with this quote. Everybody here has a soul to be saved or a soul to be lost. You will be lost forever unless God saves you, unless Christ shall have mercy on you. There is no hope for you. Down on your knees. Cry to God for mercy. Lift up your heart in prayer to God now. May this be the moment when you will be saved. You can have peace with God now. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find. Come to Christ and be, be accepted in God's dearly loved Son. Amen.